Good to have you here. Uh, please give a warm welcome to our friend Jerry Ellis right there in the middle. Uh, Jerry uh, lives in, uh, in uh, Thompson, Connecticut, and he was a part of our previous church in Webster, Mass. He's been faithfully attending our men's, uh, our men's group on Zoom and uh, the services on live stream, but he drove up today. It's got to be a little more than an hour, maybe hour 10, 15 minutes or so. So Jerry, God bless you. Good to see you. Praise the Lord. Good to have some children here as well. Uh, so anyway, let's stand together and let's open up with the word of prayer. And uh, we will invite the presence of the Lord here today. Amen. Father, Lord God, we love you. We do love you. And we need you today. Father, we pray your blessing over this service. Let everything that's said and done, Lord, point to you and give honor to you. We welcome your Holy Spirit to touch our lives. Lord, receive our praises, hear our prayers, speak to us through your word, and just let your touch be upon us and upon our families and the loved ones that we care about. So Lord, have your way. We surrender this time to you now. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. So listen, everyone got your palm branches, right? So the least you could do is wave them as we sing this song. The most you could do is get up out of your seat and start walking around the sanctuary. So we've been doing this for years. As, as uh, I like to say, this, this pa pandemic's not going to hold us down. We're going to celebrate Jesus. Amen. All right. So as you feel so moved... If you don't feel moved, that's okay, too. Just wave your palm branches. But, but whatever you do, let's worship the Lord. Amen? Whatever you do, worship the Lord.
Come on, when we see you, cause when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Washed away. Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say amen. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy, Lord. Well, um, if you came in a little bit late, we welcomed our friend Jerry Ellis, sitting right in the middle here. Jerry is one of the brothers uh, from Connecticut that joins our men's Zoom meeting every, every week, or every time we have a Zoom. So, men, if you, if you met Jerry on the Zoom meetings, here he is in person, live and in person. So make sure you greet him after the service. All right, so we're going to get into the Word today. Um, the Lord put a message on my heart. It is Palm Sunday, and um, we're in Matthew 21. So why don't we turn there, first of all, Matthew 21. And um, in case you're, you, you were not aware, or I just want to remind you, our prayer and fasting time ended yesterday. You can still pray and fast if you want. Who am I to say no? <laughs> Whatever, however the Lord leads you. But we did consecrate that week for prayer and fasting. And among many things that we prayed for, we met on Monday and Tuesday here, Thursday and Friday here, and had some uh, live stream prayers and stuff. But I think this is the result of some of the prayers, what we see here today. The atmosphere is rich with God's presence, but we're praying for next Sunday to be an awesome Resurrection Sunday service, two services. We're trusting Lord specifically, and I'll, I'll be the first one to say I'm definitely going out on a limb for trusting the Lord for 80 people at 9 o'clock and another 80 people for 1045. And I believe that God would want this. That, that's, our, that's 50% of our capacity. That's what we can have legally. 
So I believe with all my heart that God would want us, not only us, every church, to have 50% of their capacity on Resurrection Sunday, for goodness sakes. I mean, this is what it's all about. So we're trusting God that next Sunday, this place is going to be jumping with praise for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So if you want to continue to pray and fast, no one's going to stop you. So we're in Matthew 21. I've entitled the message today, The King Has Come. Uh, We're talking about Palm Sunday. We're talking about how Jesus uh, triumphantly came into Jerusalem that day, although he was greatly misunderstood. And some of the things that happened will demonstrate that. But, you know, all over the world today, churches are remembering Palm Sunday. Um, I don't know if your tradition was, uh, my tradition as a kid was, we always got palm branches at church. And uh, the old ladies always took them home and made things for the house out of them. Little crosses, little placemats or headbands. (laughs) Well, in my culture, they they were, but... um, (laughs) They were old Italian ladies, to be more specific. But anyway, but anyway, we, we have the branches, you know, use them today as a reminder that uh, it's a special day. It's a special day. So let me read uh, verses 1 through 11, then we'll get into this. So Matthew 11, verse number 1. Then they drew near to Jerusalem, and they came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, Lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on him and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the ground. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed behind cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when they had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Hallelujah. Father, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done already. You've done a lot already here today. Thank you for receiving our praise, for inhabiting our praise. Thank you for hearing our prayers. And, Lord, now we thank you for your word and pray your blessing over this message. Lord, anoint my mind and heart and spirit and lips that I may share this word the way you want it to be shared. And, Lord, in all things, please be glorified and let your people be built up because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're praying for God to move on our hearts, you know, to touch everybody, you know. Here's the thing. I think I said this last week. We probably have, like, before the pandemic hit, we had, like, maybe 225, 250 that were in our our view, you know. Uh, Maybe 180, 200 came on a given Sunday back in, in those days. And here's the thing. Some people have, have gotten a little uh, lackadaisical or apathetic. Uh, some are a little bit scared because of the pandemic. And we're praying, Lord, shake everybody up. Bring our people back. And this is a good indication of that. This is great. But here's the other thing. Uh, as I often would say, the ship is moving out. And you get, you, if you're not on the ship, the ship's going to go without you. We're going somewhere, church. We're getting closer to the Lord. He's getting closer to his return. The church is on the move. And if, if we don't get on the boat, there's 60,000 people in Haverhill alone. I'm sure he could find 100, 200 people that need a church to go to. So God is moving. I'm just encouraging the body of Christ. Get plugged in. Stay plugged in. Get on the live stream. Get on the Zoom meeting. Read the emails. You know, just continue to press in. We don't want to lose anybody. 
So anyway, the king has come. The king has come. We, we read in Matthew. Let me, let me give you uh, what the other gospels say about this because it's hard to get a composite by just reading one gospel. You just have to read all four and put it all together. And sometimes even then it's a little confusing. But let me give you some uh, insights that, that we didn't read in Matthew. Uh, Mark adds to the story that when Jesus came into Jerusalem that day, the first thing he did was he went into the temple to look around to make sure everything was all set. That's all it says. And you have to wonder, why did Jesus do that? As I was contemplating that the other day, the Lord kind of spoke to me and said, you know, that, that was on Sunday. But on Friday, when he died on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent in two. I have a feeling, I can't prove it, but maybe Jesus was looking around making sure the veil was in place, everything was all set, because he knew later on that week something radical was going to happen. Luke adds in his gospel that uh, when Jesus arrived into, into Jerusalem, there was great singing and festivity and branches and hallelujah, hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, frivolity. And uh, at that moment, the Pharisees made themselves known to Jesus and said, Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. And Jesus said, in my vernacular, there's no way I'm going to do that. If If these disciples stop praising me, the very rocks will cry out. And so he let them praise him. But Luke also says that when Jesus came into the city with all that excitement, he's got tears in his eyes. Can you get the picture? It doesn't make sense in a way. All this joy and excitement and hallelujah. And Jesus is sitting on the donkey crying as he enters into the city. That's a drastic, dramatic view. And then John's gospel adds that the the leaves, the branches were palm branches. He also says that the disciples didn't really even understand what was happening at that point. They didn't really get it until after Jesus was glorified. So, Matthew 21, the procession kind of starts kind of like, like uh, just kind of innocently it began. Um, and by the way, I was listening to the radio this morning. I listened to a 590 usually on Sunday morning, early in the morning. And this uh, person was preaching about this. And I never looked at it this way, but um, verse number two, it says, uh, Jesus told his disciples to go get a donkey and loose him and bring him to me. I have use for him. And the comment was, some people are like that. We need to be loosed. We need to be set free that we could be of service to the Lord. But anyway, uh, verse number one, just so you know what's happening. Jesus had friends in Bethpage. It was probably Martha and Mary and Lazarus. But he had friends, and he stayed there often, and it was just a short distance from Jerusalem. So throughout this week, he was going back and forth from Bethpage to Jerusalem. So they get the donkey. Um, they fulfill a prophecy uh, from Zechariah 9.9, 9, uh, verse four, 5, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, the cult, the foal of a donkey. And uh, so everything was happening the way the Lord wanted it to happen. And uh, for the past three years, Jesus had been teaching on the fact that he would, be, he would be establishing his kingdom. That he was a king, but he wasn't the king that they thought he was at this moment. They were looking for a, a king like King David or King Saul or somebody that would establish their kingdom of Israel to rise up against the nation of the Roman Empire. And, and so they're trying to usher him in as the king of Israel, and they crowded around him, making this great thing happen. Verse number 8 says, a very great multitude spread their clothes on the ground. So it was picking up momentum. And, uh, and so Jesus is like, you know, observing it, and they start singing, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 118, 26, they're praising God, praising Jesus, and raving the branches at him. And verse 10 says, all the city was shaken. All the city was moved. Who is this? Who is this? And in the midst of all that, Luke 19, Jesus begins to cry over the city. Because he realizes they didn't get it. He said, only if you knew the day of your visitation. If only you knew the things that make for your peace. But this is not it. This is not what you think it is. And so they missed it. But I always was curious about the palms and what significance they had. 
And I wouldn't be too dogmatic about this. I wouldn't, you know, make it like three things to, well, you could put them on your wall if you wanted to, but just three things to think about. Because when they were waving those palm branches, there was some spiritual significance to that. Psalm 92, verse 12, it says that the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. So as they're waving the palm branch, they're saying, Lord Jesus, you are the righteous one. You're, you are the righteous one. So, uh, Song, of, of, um, Song of Solomon 7.7 7, says that this stature of yours, this, this beauty of yours, your, the way that you present yourself is like a palm tree. And so they're saying, Lord, you're beautiful. You're statuesque. You're, you're, you're wonderful. And, and we behold your beauty and your glory. John 12, 13, where it says they took the palm branches and they're singing, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're proclaiming the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. Reminiscent of Revelation 7, when at the end times, when the great multitude of Gentiles from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, you know, every person will give praise to God, lifting up their voice saying, salvation belongs to the Lord And they'll be waving palm branches, symbolic of the victory that we have. So I like to think of it when when we wave the palm branches around, that we're, 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 we're telling the Lord, you are righteous. We're telling the Lord, Lord, you are beautiful. We're telling the Lord, Lord, you are victorious. And because of you, we have a victory now. Hallelujah. And by the way, that procession was really good this morning. I don't know who started it. Lily, was that you? Thank you for doing that. So, you know, just a procession of praise before the Lord. So, um, so Jesus is coming into town. The king has come. You ever notice in Jesus' ministry, up until this point, everything he said and did, he, he kind of told everyone to keep it undercover. You know, like, like, I'll heal you, but don't tell anybody. Cast out a demon, don't, don't say anything yet. It's not, it's not my time yet. For three years, that was going on. And on this day, he just let it go wide open. The day had come for Jesus to be proclaimed the king. But they had the wrong, <clears throat> the wrong title of king for him. He was not going to be the king of Israel like they thought. They really wanted to establish that the Jewish nation to rise up against Rome. But Jesus was, was proclaiming he's come to be a king of another kingdom. He came this time to be the precious lamb of God slain for sinners. And he came to give his life away. So Holy Week has begun. Um, Sunday. So let's go down the various days of the week. Sunday was a special day. He rides into town. Notice he's sitting on a donkey. In the Old Testament, that donkey was actually used for kings. Kings would ride on a donkey. And, but it says in Matthew 21, Jesus came in riding on a donkey, on, uh, riding lowly on a donkey. So there's symbolism. He has, he's a king on the one hand. On, an, on the other hand, he's a servant ready to lay his life down. So we celebrate Palm Sunday. He goes back Sunday night, back to Bethpage to spend the night. On Monday, he gets up and comes back to Jerusalem, and he begins to teach. And he's teaching about the kingdom of God, and he he sees a fig tree over on the side, and he uses that fig tree as an illustration that Israel must bear good fruit. And if they don't bear good fruit, the fig tree will be cursed, and the nation will, will be dead to the Lord. And the next day when he came back, sure enough, that fig tree had no fruit on it. It was dead. So goes back to Bethpage, comes back on Tuesday. On Tuesday, Jesus begins to speak to the Pharisees and to the religious leaders. And he begins to speak to them very, very poignant, very powerful words about the last days and about the second coming. You may know some of the things he talked about, as in the days of Noah, right? Uh, The ten virgins. Uh, the parable of the talents, uh, in which there's a man that, that did something with the, the service and went away and came back. All symbolic that Jesus was getting ready to go away and then come back again at a later time. Late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning, Judas began to make his plans with the Pharisees to betray Jesus. So he met with them privately. On Wednesday, the deal was set. 
that he would betray Jesus at an opportune time for 30 pieces of silver, which wasn't a lot of money in those days. It's about $20, $25 of our money today. Uh, 30 pieces of silver was the cost of a slave in those days. So it wasn't a, a lot of money, but he made arrangements for that. And then Thursday comes. Thursday is, is known as Passover. And, and note, uh, on Sunday, when all the people were there, all the people were coming into Jerusalem anyway to celebrate Passover, thus the crowd. And so Thursday comes for the actual Passover meal. And Jesus tells his disciples to go get the room ready, get the table ready, get everything all set. And so they all get together in this meeting place, and they begin to celebrate Passover. And a couple of things happen that are notable. One thing that happened that really stands out is while they're there, what do you think happens? And I don't know who the first one was, but one of the disciples starts complaining or, or bragging that they were the greatest in the kingdom. And then the other one would chip in and say, no, I'm the greatest. And the other one, no, I'm the greatest. And they're bickering among themselves as to who the greatest one is in the kingdom of God. And Jesus overhears, of course, and steps in and says, what are you guys doing? I'll show you who the greatest one is. He gets a, a bucket of water and a towel, has them take off their sandals, and he washes their feet. And he says, the, the greatest among you has to be the servant of all. And Peter chirps up. Now, I don't know if it was Peter that was the first one over there, but he does chirp up at this time, and he says, Lord, don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in the kingdom of God. And Peter says, well, in that case, wash my hands and my head. <laughs> and Jesus says, oh, that's, that's my boy. That's Peter. So then Jesus, at, in that setting, he begins to speak about agape. Remember the sermons about agape. Love one another. I'm calling you disciples. I'll give you a new commandment. You got the great commandment. You got the second greatest commandment. Here's a new commandment. Love each other the way I've loved you. All the world will know that you're my disciples by the way you love each other in the body of Christ. At that, at that Passover, Jesus predicted Judas's betrayal. He said, the one who dips his bread in my plate, he's the one that's going to betray me. Right then, boom, Judas does it. Then he goes off into the night. Jesus predicts Peter's denial uh, three times, and there'll be a rooster crowing, which Peter denied he would ever do that. And then, of course, there's the breaking of the bread. Take this bread. This is my body. Take this cup. This is a cup of the new covenant in which there's remission of sins. He institutes the new covenant, and um, he's saying he, his body will be broken, his blood will be poured out. I don't think the disciples really understood it at that point. And then it says that they sang a hymn together, probably one of the Psalms, and they left. And they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, which was the place where they would often go to pray. And while they're there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says to the disciples, please stay with me for one hour. Pray with me for one hour. And three times they fall asleep. Three times he shakes them and says, please pray with me. Could you not pray with me for one hour? And as Jesus is praying, he begins to pray very fervently to his father. Can you picture it? Father, he knows what's coming. If there's any way for this cup to pass from me, Lord, Father, take it from me. But nevertheless, not my will, let your will be done. And he begins to sweat. You ever sweat when you pray or when you do anything and you sweat? You feel like you feel hot. You feel like you feel like something's going on physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It's just a reaction to the whole thing. He's sweating drops of blood. The torment, the agony. The, the Catholic Church calls it the agony in the garden. That's why he was in agony trying to trying to do this thing and knowing he had to and he wanted to, but he knew what he was getting into, and he's sweating drops of blood. Shortly, right around that time. There's the clanging of the chains and the, the light flickering in the back. And this army of soldiers and, and uh, Pharisees, Jewish Pharisees, come walking into the garden where they were interrupting their prayer time. And there's Judas leading the pack. He walks right up to Jesus and kisses him on the cheek. And Jesus said, is this how you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And at that moment, at that moment, actually, Peter pulled out his sword and cut off the ear of one of the soldiers in defense of Jesus. And, and Jesus said, no, and he picked up the air and healed the soldier. And so they, they, they chained Jesus up, whisked him away, 
And, uh, and there's great, everyone leaves. Everyone leaves Jesus. They all fled. Except John and Peter, it does say, they followed him from behind, from a distance. And that night, yeah, Peter did deny the Lord three times. And uh, the rooster did crow at the third time. That night also was when Judas, uh, after he realized what he did, went out and hanged himself. So then, so Jesus is now taken away. Well, where's he going to go? This is Thursday night. This is nighttime. It's late. So he's, they're going to take him to the, to the high priest, Caiaphas, and his group. So they go to Caiaphas, and they, they talk to him, they question him, and they, they belittle him, and they tell stories and lies about him. And, and they finally say, okay, that's it. Let's bring him to Pilate. Because Pilate had to give the final approval because Israel was still under Roman authority. So now they bring him to Pilate. So middle of the night, they're going to see Pilate. And Pilate questions him. He doesn't know what to do with him. He, Pilate realizes, oh, Herod's in town. Uh, he's the ruler of the whole thing. I'll, I'll bring him to Herod. He'll know what to do. Herod sees him for a little while. Now it's like early in the morning on Friday. It's like, you know, Friday's here now. And, and Herod says, oh, I don't know what to do. So he brings him back to Pilate. So he comes back to Pilate. And Pilate then remembers that uh, in Rome there was a custom that during Passover... Uh, they had the authority to release a prisoner of the people's choice as like an act of favor or good, goodwill towards the people. So he brings out this thief, this insurrectionist, this criminal named Barabbas. And he puts Barabbas there and Jesus is there. And he says, well, who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? Everyone says, we want Barabbas. And uh, Jesus, you know, so Pilate is thinking in his heart, he hasn't really violated, Jesus hasn't violated any Roman law. The Jews are saying he violated Jewish law. I'm in a little bit of a predicament. I don't think we have justification to kill him. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send him out. John says he's going to send him out to get whipped and beaten and tortured and then come back. So Jesus goes out to a place. And then, then that's, that's what we see in the movies, you know. He, he's whipped with the whip, has a metal thing at the end, and, and his flesh is torn. His, his back is all open. He, he's, he's grossly disfigured and bleeding and ugly, and he's almost dead at that point. And to top it off, the, the Romans get a, a, a purple cloak with, like, wool. to put it on the open sores. It's like, ah, like, oh, man, it's bad enough. And they put that on top and put a crown of thorns on his head and bang it in, and now he's bleeding all over the place. And he stands before Pilate. He brings out Barabbas again, and there they are. And Pilate says, well, who, who do you want? They said, he's thinking they're going to say, we want to kill Barabbas because he's the crook. And they start yelling, we want Barabbas. Well, what about Jesus? Crucify him. And the crowd is raising their voice and yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And the thing goes, this is on Friday, right? It's Palm Sunday, they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. The fickleness, Jesus was not, he was not the king that they wanted at that time. So they say, crucify him, crucify him. And so Pilate sends him out. He washes his hands, sends him out. And uh, Jesus is led to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, outside of Jerusalem. It was called the place of the skull because it looked like a, the shape of someone's head. It was a rock, a rock formation. And on the top of that place is where they would crucify the criminals. So on the way out there, Jesus is now, he's just, he's just you know, he's in bad shape. He's hurting terribly. And he stumbles a few times with the cross on his back. And finally, towards the end, the, the Roman guards get a man in the audience, Simon of Cyrene, to help him carry the cross. And he finally gets up to this Calvary, this place where the crucifixion was to take place. And there Jesus is crucified with two thieves, one on the left, one on the right. One of them made their peace with Jesus. And by 3 o'clock that day, Jesus died. He gave up his spirit. He, he let it go. And right at that moment, what do you think happened? Remember the veil in the temple? From top to bottom, the thing was ripped open, indicating now anyone could go there, not just the high priest. Jesus made a way for anyone to come to the Father. The earth quaked. It got dark. It was eerie. It was a weird day. Tombs even opened up, Matthew says. 
Tombs opened up. Dead people became alive. They didn't get out of the tomb till Sunday, but they were, they were awake in their tomb, and the whole city was in chaos. So Joseph of Arimathea, a Pharisee no less, who was in conjunction with Nicodemus, another Pharisee, two good ones, he takes the body down. Nicodemus has oil, and they put Jesus in Joseph's tomb to satisfy a scripture that said he would be crucified with the criminals but buried with the rich. And so now Jesus is in the tomb on Friday afternoon. So you have one day, the Friday. You have Saturday, the second day. Saturday's a day of mourning. What Jesus was doing at that time is another story. But Sunday comes, and the ladies come to the tomb. And they have the oils. They want to anoint his body, take care of him. And they meet an angel on the way. And the angel says words that are written down forever and ever in all of history. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen, just like he said. Go back and tell everyone. And thus, the story really began at that point. So that's, that's what we're talking about with, with Holy Week. And that's why I'm so excited about Resurrection Sunday. It's a glorious time to celebrate the risen Christ. And not that we have to wait till Resurrection Sunday every year, but it doesn't hurt to, it doesn't hurt to have a day designated for that. It's like a birthday, you know? It's like Christmas. It's, it's special. So anyway, in this story of Palm Sunday, the king has come. There's three characters I want to bring out to you. And I'm looking at the time. I don't want to be too, too long with this. But there's three characters that I want to bring out to you that I think tell us something that we need to learn. None of these three characters knew that the king had come. They saw him. They didn't register that he was the king. So let's talk about this for a minute. If you want to turn with me, go to Luke chapter 19 in verse number 39. Uh... The first group of people are the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the ones that said in Luke 19, 39, Jesus, tell everyone to shut up. Tell everyone to be quiet. Tell everyone to quiet down. It's too noisy, too radical, too emotional. Tell everyone to stop. It reminds me of the sermon last Sunday when we were talking about Isaiah 58, when when, uh, the Lord recognized Israel. We're praying, fasting, reading the word, as though they were a people that did righteousness. But verse 1 says they were filled with sin and transgressions. In other words, they look good on the outside, but they were bad on the inside. Pharisees look good on the outside, but they're bad on the inside. So Pharisees are people that know of God, but they don't know God. They're more interested in how they look than how God sees them. They're more interested in their appearance than their own heart. They're more concerned about what others think about them than what God thinks about them. And in verse uh, Luke 19, it's so interesting that that this, this even happened because the Pharisees are in the crowd with everybody and the people are praising Jesus, get this, for the wrong reasons. They didn't understand who he even was, but they were praising him. And they still, the Pharisees still didn't want them to do it. And they, they demand that they stop. And so here, uh, there will be people in your lives, in my life, that will be Pharisaic and tell us things like, you don't need to be so excited about Jesus. How many times have I heard that in my life? Man, I've, I've heard that for the last 44 years. Why are you so excited about Jesus? Oh, because he rescued my life, that's all. He forgave me my sins, that's all. He died for me, that's all. But see, if you don't get that, you don't get why we act the way we do. So... There will be people, I'm telling you, your families, your, your workplace, your, your, your life, whatever, in your community, that will tell you, you don't need, oh, it's okay to have a form of God, but why all the hallelujah stuff? Why all the dancing stuff, you know? Why are you getting so excited? It's just religion. I'm telling you, there are people that will want to silence us. And uh, Christian, beware. Don't let anyone silence you. They, they want to say, be quiet. Uh, too much worship and praise going on. Uh, here's another one. Your services are way too long. You ever hear that one? Hey, pastor, your services are way too long. Really? I can't give God an hour or two on a Sunday? Come on. We could do that. Can't we? I can. I don't know about anybody else. Too much of a spectacle. 
No, you have to be more, more cultured, more dignified, more refined. You have to be a little bit more passive. Don't be so aggressive with this whole thing. Can I tell you something? When God changes a life, we react. I've been reacting for 44 years or 43, whatever. We need to continue to react. Jesus has come. He's established his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He's looking for people that will praise him, that will recognize him, that are not ashamed of their faith in him. And he said, if these disciples of mine don't cry out, the rocks will. Oh, my goodness. As we often say, I don't want to hear any rocks crying out, for goodness sake. I want to hear people crying out. John 4, 23 The time is right now when the Lord is looking for those that will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Because God is spirit, those who worship must must worship in spirit and truth. So the Lord is looking for a people that will not only sing songs of praise, but that will give their lives to him. Be creative for him. That will will make sacrifices for the Lord, for for the gospel of the Lord. And will do godly things like feeding the poor and helping the underprivileged and all those things. He's looking for a people that that will go forward in spite of what the Pharisees have to say. And there are Pharisees all over the place. I'm so tired of Pharisaical Christian people. Because they look the part. They look the part. I told you this story one time. I'll tell it again real quick before I move on. I was at a clergy meeting some years ago in another city. And I'm sitting around this table with all these dignified people. They, they were. They really were. Educated, PhD, some of them. And, and the, someone said, well, how did you end up in the ministry? And they start over there, right? And I'm over here. I'm the last one to go. And he, he, he gives his little spiel about how we came into the ministry. And I said to myself, boy, my life is nothing like that guy's life. The next guy, same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. And I'm, I'm over here, now I'm starting to sweat a little bit. And it gets to me, and I said, my experience with God was nothing like your experiences with God. And I broke down and cried right then and there. Because God is so real, and God has to be real in our hearts. But the Pharisees are looking at us like, what's all the excitement about? It's only religion. No, it's not. It is really relationship. It really is relationship. So you can have all the religion you want and chuck it out the window. It does not matter how much religion you have. It doesn't matter. What matters is what kind of relationship do you have with God? Okay, let me go to number two. Number two is this. Another character that was always so interesting to me is Pilate. Pilate, if you want to turn with me, Matthew 27, uh, verses 21. To 25, um, so Matthew 27, 21. Um, let's see. He, he's also referred to as the governor in, in the New King James. But it says, the governor answered and said to them, which of these two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate then said, well, what shall I do with Jesus who's called the Christ? They said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why, what evil has he done? And they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a a turmoil was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it yourselves. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and upon our children. There are some pilots in the world today that are presented with the truth, but want nothing to do with the truth. Pilate's main concern was keeping peace. It was a kind of a political uh, hot button there because he didn't want an insurrection to happen. Uh, Israel and Rome were always at conflict, and he saw this had the potential of a riot happening. So he's trying to not rock the boat. And I'm afraid there are some people in our lives that will tell us, don't rock the boat. Don't be too radical for Jesus. Just kind of get through it, you know. Just don't cause a big stink about everything. Well, he, he, he didn't, it didn't go the way Pilate thought. Um, when they wanted Barabbas, he takes a coward's way out and washes his hands. I'm done with Jesus. Go do what you want with him. If, you, if we were to look over here in Matthew 27, verse 11. But here, you know, Pilate's saying, you know, dealing with Jesus is too much trouble. Dealing with Jesus is too much pressure. Dealing with Jesus is too much responsibility. I'm going to wash my hands of him. Look at chapter 27, verse 11. Pilate had a meeting with Jesus and said flat out, 
Are you the king of the Jews? In the next verse, Jesus says unequivocally, yes, I am the king of the Jews. In John's gospel, John 18, Jesus goes on a little teaching to Pilate and says, I've come to bear witness to the truth. I'm the truth. I've come to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate says, what is the truth? He's looking at the truth and doesn't even know he's looking at the truth. In Matthew 27, verse 19, even Pilate's wife, I love this part, had a dream. And in the dream, something was going on about Jesus. And she woke up and said to Pilate, Pilate, you know, I love you, but don't mess around with that just man. And he's being confronted with the truth on every side. I wonder how many of us have heard the truth for a long time. And we just kind of tuck it away. We'll deal with it later. We'll deal with it later. We'll deal with it later. Or we have other people that in our lives that they've heard it too, but their reaction to truth is different than our reaction. Well, we can't let their reaction influence our reaction. Our reaction has to influence their reaction. So Pilate was more influenced by the crowds. He was more influenced by the political climate of the day. What a word for today in our culture. How many of us are concerned about the political climate of the day? Like if we stand for Christ, we will be ostracized. We'll be looked at like we're, we're crazy if we believe in the word of God. Are you ready for that? Or will we take the pilot approach and just say, ah, I'll just let everyone deal with it. Everyone, everyone work out your own way. It's all right. But see, if we go forward in Christ, we will deal with a culture that's anti-Jesus. We'll deal with a political system that's anti-Christianity. And the Lord is raising us up to make a difference. The third person I want to talk about and try to wrap this up is another interesting character. His name is Herod. Uh, We're in Luke 23. Luke 23. Herod was like the ruler of the whole thing. He was like the big man. But in Luke 23, verse 7, we, we start with Pilate's view. Uh, as, as soon as Pilate knew that Jesus belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent Jesus to him, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. No coincidence there, by the way. So when Herod saw Jesus, look at verse number 8. When Herod sees Jesus, he was exceedingly glad because he wanted to meet him for a long time. Ay, ay, ay. This is the same Herod that John the Baptist preached to three years before. And John the Baptist called him out. You're sleeping with your brother's wife, and it's not right. And Herod liked to hear from John. He liked John's preaching. Now he wants to hear Jesus' preaching. Who knows who we heard in between those three years, but... So he's exceedingly glad. He wanted to see Jesus. And then verse number 11, going down, it says, well, just to paraphrase it, he was exceedingly glad in verse number 8, verse number 11. He was exceedingly mean to Jesus. You know why? Because Herod wanted entertainment. He wanted to see a miracle, a sign, or something supernatural. And when he didn't get what he wanted, he just started to, verse 11 is a tough, uh, they treated him with contempt, they mocked him, they arraigned him a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. He was already whipped and beaten up by that time. So the Herods of the world mocked Jesus, mocked the Christian faith. They're only interested in regards to entertainment the miracles, the supernatural, the signs and wonders. And they're very shallow. That would be like we Christians going to a Christian, or someone going to a Christian concert and never surrendering to the Lord. Just enjoy the music, enjoy the clean environment, but never give your heart to Jesus. It would be like people coming to church and never getting on that cross. You know, Jesus, you know, we have this analogy, many people are around the cross, you know, we're, we're, we're Christians and we're around the cross. Well, Jesus said, no, no, if you want to be my follower, you have to get on the cross and follow me. And many people don't want to do that. But that's the Herods of the world. Jesus said things like, if you want to follow me, you got to sell everything you have and follow me. Give, give your whole life to me. Uh, deny yourself. Take up your cross and come after me. Jesus said in another place in John chapter 6, listen to this. Listen to this. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will gain eternal life. And when I come back, I'll take them with me. What? He's saying whoever partakes of me, 
Whoever lives for me. When Jesus said that, it said a lot of people stopped following him at that point. You know why? They only wanted the miracles. They didn't want to give their life back to the Lord. They just wanted to be entertained. I think at that moment they were getting food when he fed the 5,000, one of those miracles. When, when they, he, they realized that, they stopped following the Lord because they weren't getting what they wanted. So the Herods, it's a casual, a flirtatious relationship with Jesus, will get us nowhere. Hebrews 4.13 tells us that one day everyone will stand before the Lord in whom we must give account. I wonder what will happen to the Herods of the world or the pilots of the world. We don't know the rest of the story either. You know, we don't know what happened later in their life, but you do have to ask the question. So Palm Sunday, to me, raises a lot of questions, like do we know the real biblical Jesus? Or is the Jesus we're, you know, praying to? Is he, is he, is he the one that was on the movie last week, or is he the one in the Bible? Um, are we honoring him from our heart, or is it just words? Are we influenced by society, by culture, by politics? And what can we learn from this story of Palm Sunday? I just want to give you three things, then we're going to wrap this up, okay? You still with me? Here's number one. I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart, like God's using me to tell you this right now. Number one, don't be a Pharisee. Praise God. Praise is so important. And I don't want to sound redundant. We're a church that loves to praise God. We will continue to praise God, but it can't only be on a Sunday. I, I had a phone call yesterday from a friend from uh, our previous ministry. And uh, this brother was uh, in the hospital for a week. He was not doing well, but he's doing well now. He said last night, which would have been Friday night, he said, the Lord spoke to me. He said, you were, you were in the thing that I had with God. I said, what did God say about me? <laughs> he said, well, God wanted me to tell you to keep praising him. <laughs> I said, no problem. I do, I do, I will. But I want to tell the church, no matter what you're dealing with, this pandemic has got everyone crazy. Praise God anyway. Whatever's going on. You're losing your job. You have a different income. Hey, you know what? Is God not bigger than all that? Yes, he is. I I, I said earlier, like if we we could get a Christian from 1,000 years ago or 1,500 years ago, they'd say, you're worried about a pandemic? I was worried about getting my head cut off. You know, so praise God. Continue to praise God. He is worthy of our praise. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Listen, he's worthy. He's holy. He's faithful. He's steady. He's awesome. He never falters. He loves unconditionally. He's great. He's a strong tower. He's our refuge. He's a a never-ending source of encouragement and hope. And if we don't praise him, guess what? Other people will. I don't want anyone taking my place. Ah, I'm on the first of the line giving praise to my God. And I'm telling you, church, when you go through this week, whatever's going to come your way, just remember what I said. Praise him anyway. Because God is bigger than your, your trial and bigger than your problems. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. The second thing is this. Don't be a pilot. Don't be a pilot. But seek the truth always. You know, Pilate had the truth hitting him right in the face. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he told Pilate, I came to bear witness of the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? You're looking at it. But I want to encourage you that Jesus is the truth. And we we sought the Lord when we got saved. I did. I know you all did. Everyone came to Jesus when we got, otherwise we wouldn't be saved. But for many of us, that was a while ago. I don't know about you. I need Jesus more today than I did then. I need Jesus every single day. I need to seek Jesus every day, not just the day of my salvation. I need to constantly run after God. Don't be like Pilate. Don't have the truth hit you upside the head and and you miss it. Jesus said, if you seek, you'll find. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. So always include the truth in your life. How do I deal with the marriage? How do I deal with my money? How do I deal with my kids? How do I deal with my job? How do I deal with whatever? How do I deal with culture? How do I deal with sickness? Include Jesus in every aspect of your life. Seek the truth always. Seek the truth until you see the truth face to face. 
That's a lifetime. The third thing is this. You know, Herod, you notice in these movies about uh, the uh, crucifixion and Passion Week, Herod is usually depicted as a little bit weird. You ever notice? Like a little bit off, perverted, like. And so here's, here's Herod, you know, three years before, having an affair with his brother's wife. That wasn't too good. John the Baptist calls him out. And he, he enjoys the preaching of John the Baptist. It's always like, what is that, you know? It's like people like to hear the word of God but never do anything about it. Maybe something's going to happen later, but Herod liked to hear the, the word preached by John. He was convicted of his sin, but he didn't stop his sin. Later, with that woman, that woman has a daughter. The, the daughter dances before Herod, probably in a provocative way. He's probably half drunk and messed up. And he says to her, I'll give you anything you want. So give me the head of John the Baptist. So he has John the Baptist's head cut off. And now we have the same Herod, happy to see Jesus. Glad. He's been waiting for a long time to see Jesus. That story goes on. After that little episode, it says that Herod and Pilate, after that, became friends. Oh, what a friendship that must have been. You know? So Herod, Herod is like someone that wants to be entertained, wants their ears tickled, wants to hear the truth and maybe be a little convicted, but kind of mock it at the same time. He's shallow, it's surface level, no responsibilities towards Jesus. It's the entertainment crowd, the entertainment thing of Christianity that's a multi-million dollar industry now. So many people are wrapped up in the entertainment of Christianity. Like, you know, in some parts of the country, it's, it's rather uh, popular to say, I'm a born-again Christian. You know, it's like, that's what they do. It's what people say. Yeah, I'm a born-again Christian. Well, you talk like that and you're a born-again Christian? Oh, yeah, well, he understands. I'm a born-again Christian. Yeah, you're living with your girlfriend or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, God, God knows. You're getting drunk on the weekends. You're smoking pot. You're doing this and doing that. Yeah, yeah, but God knows. That's such a shallow existence. I'm saying, you know what? When we come to Jesus... From the get-go, we have to get this in our head. I've got to go deeper. When I first came to Jesus, it was all about getting myself straightened out with God. And it, was all, it was good and powerful. It was wonderful. But I, I soon realized the depth of my complex mind is more than just a simple prayer. There's so much going on in my head. I need Jesus every single day. I need to go deeper in the Lord. I need to let him go deep inside of me, not just a surface relationship. You know, so when someone says a sinner's prayer, we're happy you say a sinner's prayer. It's only the beginning. It's just the very, very beginning. So go deeper with the Lord. Those scriptures that come to my mind, take me to the rock that is higher than I. Oh, yeah. Your word is a rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. When the storm came, the house stood. He's my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress you know, there's a story in John chapter 1. We won't have time to get to it, but John's followers were now following Jesus in the beginning, John chapter 1. And Peter and Andrew said, Jesus, where are you going? Where, where are you staying? Where? And Jesus doesn't tell them where he's going. He says, follow me, and you'll find out. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. You've got to go deeper with the Lord. You can't have a, a surface relationship with the Lord. He wants to go deeper. Invite him to come on your life's journey. He'll take you places you never thought you would go. I promise. All right, we're going we're gonna to close with Matthew 21, uh, verses 10 and 11. It's up there on the screen. So let's, uh, let's say it together if we can. Uh, when he had come into Jerusalem, let's, let, let, let's start again. <laughs> when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying... Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's stand up and say it again. Come on. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Come on, one more time. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. 
Amen. So listen, church, on live stream, the Lord is calling us to tell all the city who Jesus is. Be ready to give a defense of your faith. Know the word of God. Know your testimony. And don't be afraid to tell somebody, Jesus is Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's worthy. He is worthy. Hallelujah. Every head bowed for just a moment. If you're on live stream, uh, just take a moment and pray with us real quickly. I just want to ask a couple of questions here. If there's anyone here, children, this goes for you too. If you just, you know, maybe you knew about Jesus. Maybe uh, you would worship him sometimes, but never understood what his real mission in life was like they did. And now you realize his mission is to... (laughs) His mission is to wreck my life and fix my life. That's his mission. So is there anyone that has come to that place where you're ready to lay it all down to the Lord? Say, Lord Jesus, I'm nothing, but whatever I have, I'm giving it to you. Come into my heart, establish your kingdom in my life. Anyone like that at all? Or maybe a recommitment over there? Anyone else? All right. I wonder if there's anybody here that feels like you have a little bit of pilot in you or a little bit of Herod in you and, and, and you want to just make it right. You want to close the gap. You know the truth. Now you want to live in the truth. And you, you've been on a surface level like Herod, liked, liked all the hoopla, but now you're getting serious about giving your life away, giving your heart away. Is there anyone that has something that you want to surrender to the Lord? It could be anything. It could be a bad habit. It could be money. It could be a relationship. Okay. And I wonder if there's anyone here that needs God's help this week because of some difficulties that are happening. Yeah. All right, let's go to the Lord and pray. Come on. Father, Lord, God, this is it right here. Lord, this is it. I feel it in my heart. <laughs> you, Lord, you, you came. Oh. Lord, I know you came to fix us, but you got to break us first. You got to break us first. Like a broken arm's got to be broken before it's set right. Lord, I ask you, Lord, continue to break us, all of us, every one of us, at home, in church, whatever. Break us, oh God. Let us not be Pharisaical. Let us not be like Isaiah 58. Do all the right things and have an ugly heart on the inside. Lord, forgive us for that. Forgive us for that. And let us, let us be a, a, a righteous people uh, established on the word of God and by your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we, I just pray with everyone here, Lord, I, we open up our hearts. We pray, Lord, forgive us our sins and just come in, Lord, and establish your kingdom in our heart. And uh, let us have the true understanding of why you came. You came, yes, you came to be praised. You came to, so we could sing to you. But you came to rescue us. You came to save us from hell. You came to save us from the wrath of God. So, Jesus, come into our lives and save us, renew us, refresh us today. Lord, for those uh, that raise their hand uh, regarding surrendering something, Lord, whatever it is, it may seem little, but, but we know it's a stumbling block. And we know we got to let it go. Lord, it's hard to let it go. Help us to let it go. We want to let it go. Help us, Lord, to do that. Lord, for those that, that this week in particular, this holy week, have important decisions coming up. It could be about anything, about work, about family, about kids and relationships, whatever. We pray, Lord, for just divine guidance, oh God. We want to seek you every day, not just in the beginning. We want to seek you every day, Lord. So, Father, I, I thank you for this time and uh, I pray, Lord, your blessing as we go from here. Those on live stream, bring blessings, Lord. Um, if there's a special meal or a time of fellowship afterwards, bless that gathering. But let us always keep you right in the middle of it. And uh, may your blessing be upon this week. We pray, Lord, for a good Friday service. Lord, let it be an awesome retelling of the story that, Jesus, you came to give your life away so we could have eternal life in you. And, Lord God... As the, as the pastor said one time, it might be Friday, but Sunday is coming. 
Let Resurrection Sunday be such a fantastic day in God's house, in this church, and all the Bible-believing churches in the, in the area. Let there be an anointing, and let there be a crowd of people that will satisfy that 50% mark, regardless of what the number is, that will give you praise and give you glory and give you honor. So, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We lay it all down and pray for your, your touch to continue to fall upon us. We thank you and praise you and look forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Come on, everybody said, Hallelujah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. Amen.